assassins are already dead. A shadowy group of killers for hire is eliminating world leaders, crime lords, and CIA agents. Inexplicably, the deceased contract killers have the DNA of people who are long dead. CIA agent John Clooney devises a dangerous plan to capture a shadow killer alive. Contract a hit on himself. John Wessex, The Shadow Killers, is the second book of the John Clooney thrillers. Get it on Amazon. Let's watch Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well gather around me sea dogs and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutiny radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shitface McRat. <laughs> International banking, diplomatic cables, nuclear missile launch codes all rely on unbreakable encryption. What if these codes were no longer secure? That nightmare scenario seems to be a reality. A shadowy underworld syndicate is auctioning off access to the world's encrypted secrets. The only plausible explanation for this ability? Someone has achieved the holy grail of code-breaking quantum computing. Veteran CIA agent John Clooney must track down the perpetrators and retrieve this technology for the U.S. government, and it's personal, as the Enigma brokers have already cost the lives of his fellow agents, perhaps including his partner. John Wessex, The Enigma Brokers, is the first book of the John Clooney thrillers. Get it on Amazon. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! 499. I was just leaving the theater. 
convertible 1969 gold Cadillac with the white interior that drove it up here. And I started to do some thinking. around in it on the freeway and I'm having a really, really good time. Black, black, black. Smoking big spliffs and cruising. Saturday, noon to two. On the freeway. Good feeling. I am. It's not a Hello, Blake. Henry. Yeah. Charlie here. Yeah. I have a report here, Henry, from your uh, from your chief nurse, Major O'Houlihan. She makes some accusations, Henry. I, I find pretty hard to believe. Uh, the dude minds, man. Has John Clooney's friend and ally become a dangerous enemy? Private investigator Anton Gruber has been CIA agent John Clooney's trusted aide. Clooney may have questioned Gruber's taste in cuisine, but never his loyalty, until Gruber double-crossed him. Escaping with his life, Clooney is sidelined while his superior attempts to discover how Gruber was compromised. The investigation delves into Gruber's astonishing past, from his unpleasant days as an East German border guard to life as a narcotics agent, from his time in the tango clubs of Buenos Aires to a trip up the Amazon in search of Nazi gold. John Wessex's The Prague Deception is the third book of the John Clooney thrillers. Get it on Amazon. Hey, Mutineer Stolowitz here. Have you ever listened to Labor and Love on Saturday mornings, 10 to noon, with Bill Morgan? It's a really excellent show, one of my favorites here at the station. And it's all about service. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but we got to serve somebody. And Bill understands the virtue of service as the heart and soul of the labor movement better than a lot of people I know. And it's one of the reasons I love to listen to him. He breaks down socialism, democracy, protest history, workers' news, and the power of unions. Along with that, he serves up an excellent mix of jazz, Latin, gospel, hip-hop, and traditional folk ballads. Great stuff. Check it out. Labor and Love is every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Serve somebody. Meals on Wheels is dedicated to fostering independent living for San Francisco seniors by providing hot, nutritious meals delivered to their homes. They're committed to fostering independent living for as long as possible. For more information, please call Meals on Wheels at 415-920-1111. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. Are you looking for local handcrafted leather goods? Look no further than Skin on Skins, a local mission a leather working shop. All original pieces handcrafted for you. Jackets, belts, purses, jewelry, everything made out of leather. You need your bicycle seat fixed? You want it in cool leather? Under can do it. You have a motorcycle that you want to fit out with side bags and cool stuff talk to under go to skinonskins.com that's s-k-i-n o-n-s-k-i-n-s dot com you just went to Folsom Street Fair and you don't have enough leather go see under everything is handcrafted and understated quality fine leather handcrafted goods for all of your needs he also does fixes maybe you love that jacket he'll put the zipper back in 
Talk to Under at SkinOnSkins.com at 20th and Mission. Check them out at SkinOnSkins.com. Volunteer for the San Francisco Food Bank. The San Francisco Food Bank relies on volunteers like you to help sort, package, and distribute healthy food to people in need in San Francisco. Each year, over 22,000 people contribute thousands of hours to fighting hunger in our community. This support will enable the SF Food Bank to distribute 43.5 million pounds of food this year, enough for 93.000 meals every day. But they can't do it without volunteers. Visit www.sffoodbank.org slash volunteer. Again, www.sffoodbank.org slash volunteer to find out how for hire is eliminating world leaders, crime lords, and CIA agents. Inexplicably, the deceased contract killers have the DNA of people who are long dead. CIA agent John Clooney devises a dangerous plan to capture a shadow killer alive. Contract a hit on himself. John Wessex, The Shadow Killers, is the second book of the John Clooney thrillers. Get it on Amazon. Let's watch Welcome, welcome to LWAFL MOYT, 
that stands for let's watch a full-length movie on youtube with mike spiegelman and carl uh, Carl. <laughs> yeah, we are never going to rename this show, right? We're just going to leave. Oh, I should get it done by now it. after six years. Oh, uh, we do this every week. We are right now broadcasting on mutinyradio.fm as we do every Sunday, little Sunday matinee for you, uh, 2 p.m. Just go to type in mutinyradio.fm, hit the listen button. You could also find our streaming feed and add it to your podcast app, which I do. And we have a donate button uh, so you can donate to the station. We always appreciate it. You could do it by Venmo. You could do it by Patreon, or just go to the site and hit the donate button. See what what peels to you. Check what out all site? the shows. What site? MutinyRadio.fm. FM. FM. I, I always type in .fm.com <laughs> slash AOL. I still got twenty hours, uh, and we also are on a podcast. It's by our acronym's name. That's why we say it up front. Uh, uh, L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-D. All right, Carl. And uh, I'll stop my stupid stick. L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. You can find us on YouTube. Carl syncs up video and audio for you. Or you can just follow us on the podcast. What we do is we watch a full-length movie on YouTube. We want you to watch it with us. And we want you to listen to us and watch the movie on mute at the same time. So, Carl, what is the movie today? Today we are watching blah, 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 blah. that is that's what you put in the YouTube search engine. Okay, today we are watching The Stone Killer, 1973. The Stone Killer. Intriguing. And I don't know. I like it. Is, is this guy's of the Isles? Halvar, Halvar of the Isles. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we want you to go find The Stone Killers from 1973. Type that nope. in. Singular. The Stone Killer. Which doesn't make sense to the plot, as you'll see later. So Sharon survives, but Oliver dies. Is that what you're saying with the stone killer? Right. That's exactly yeah. right. Sharon oh, survives. Oliver. But Oliver gets it. <clears throat> All right. Type in Singler, the stone killer, 1973. We're looking for how far are the Isles is hosting it. We Isles. 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 <laughs> like, it's probably English. It's Wait a minute. Probably... So hang on a sec. Killer Isles. Killer Got Isles. It. I got it. So singular killer. But so go ahead, find a link, click it, hit pause immediately, move your timer to zero zero zero. We want to play the movie all at the same time. And to do so, Carl, who not only produces the show, not only writes the theme song and researched this entire movie, he <laughs> interviewed a comedian, a celebrity comedian out in the tri-state area. Uh it or, could be from anywhere in the world. I'm gonna guess New Jersey. But I haven't heard this segment, but I'm really excited to take it away, Carl. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Celebrity Comedian Countdown, this time with Pam Benjamin. <laughs> now, Pam, every week we are broadcasting on mutinyradio.fm, and we always start the show by, like, plugging where people can donate and stuff. But recently you had a fundraiser. Yeah. This anonymous donor, like, capped it off tell me about this how much are we talking here and how anonymous is this guy really yeah so it was amazing um we have a 501c3 umbrella meaning that there's this group called media alliance that helps us out with their 50c3 number because we're like a community resource but i don't know how to be a 501c3 anyway so they made this mighty cause for us which is amazing and it means that people could give us money, it's tax deductible for them. And then a lot of times their companies match funds. Uh -huh. 
So we actually made more than $10,000. We made like $13,000 because places like Google and other big companies will match. Woohoo! And there was a semi, I mean, he likes to be anonymous, but uh-huh. he is a, an incredibly generous uh, comedian who also happens to be a really talented computer programmer mm-hmm. and makes money and is just so sweet and is incredibly helpful to the station. And we were like a thousand 200 away from the goal and he capped it off. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you, I call his nickname is Iceman Zero. Uh, <laughs> and he's really funny and really wonderful and incredibly supportive. Um, so that was amazing. That made the rest of our year at Mutiny Radio super a lot easier. Because um, I want to use, ad- I want to have advertising funds for this year's festival because it's going to be so amazing. And the most exciting news is that the city contacted me and they want to be on board and they want to help out with some outdoor stuff during the week. And that would be incredible because then we'd have city sponsorship, which would mean that I could have ads on the Muni buses. And (laughs) yeah, it's kind of a dream come true. So there's 10 venues that are involved this year in the comedy festival. And I'm just excited to try to take, you know, Mutiny Radio to the next level. So people know, A lot of people know who we are in San Francisco, and I want everyone in San Francisco to know that we've got five open mics a week, and I produce a ton of showcases, and we've got the festival. This is my seventh festival. I can't believe that it's that I'm doing this again, Uh, (laughs) but it does get easier every year, and um, this year we're going to have a comedy crawl because five of my venues are in walking distance from one another, so on the Saturday and Sunday... We're going to have a comedy crawl and um, Alameda Comedy Club is involved now, which is amazing. So the headlining show is going to be in a real club. And um, I'm just, I'm so excited. And then the rest of my regular venues, ONG and, and the Bar on Dolores and um, Atlas Cafe. Like I have a really, a lot of really unique places where they let me do comedy. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I'm, things couldn't be better. It's coming right up. It, it, it's about three or four months away in October. It's what did you tell me? October 9th through the 15th is the comedy festival. Yeah. Now, comedians come from all around the country for this. I have been one uh, two times. So, how do people um, register? How do people find, find, you know, do they go to mutinyradio.fm to get involved? Yeah. I mean, I should, I should put it on there. Um, you know, I'm an old woman, so I use a lot of Facebook. <laughs> Which is annoying. But we also have an Instagram, Mutiny Radio SF is our Instagram. And please, please follow us. I, I'm i old. I don't understand Instagram. I don't know how right. to get people to follow me. I'm like, just you're supposed to do it, right? And then I put content on there. And um, But it's uh, the submissions are open. I've kind of been pushing it through Facebook right now. But they're open until July 31st. Okay. And it's... $30 for people who've never applied for their first time. And it's $20 if you've been in the past. And I mean, if you're a mute, you're free, Carl, because you're, oh, you're part wow. of staff, you know? Oh, uh, yeah. Thank you and Mike you. are staff. Come on. <laughs> but the t shirts this year are going to be insane. My gift bags are always awesome. And it's, people are kind of saying it's a really good first comedy festival. Because um, I try to treat it like comedy summer camp. I want everyone to get to know each other. Yeah. I want, I want to like, I want to hear someday that two comedians like met at 
the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival, and they like fell in love, and then they both moved to Austin, Texas, or something <laughs> like that, you know? And that hasn't happened yet, but that's sort of my dream, is that people in 10 years say, oh yeah, yeah, we met it. We met at uh, the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival and we've been together ever since. And either it be like a like a comedy couple of people that want to write together or I mean anything. I just I'm yeah. trying to bring people together. Collaborations. Yeah. Connections. You know, it's always better when we're all together, especially as comedians, which is an act you do alone, you know. So it's better <laughs> if you coalesce. Well, and I think it completely makes sense for comedians to collaborate as opposed to compete in that the audience has an infinite ability to laugh. They can laugh at anything. They can laugh at, you know, Perry Kurtz coming out on roller skates. They can laugh at me telling menopause jokes. They can laugh at gone in 60 seconds from the seventies. They can be, I mean, they can laugh. There's so many, they can love puns. They can, you know, it. they can love cute young white guys, whatever, whatever they like, it's, it's all there. Um, so I want to, you know, c collaboration and, and the other thing about that's great about the festival is that I've met so many people over the United States that whenever I do travel, well, I haven't since the pan, but whenever I do travel for comedy, I have a billion places to go and everyone's like, oh, Pam's coming. And so then, right. uh, then I get, you know, bookings and all that kind of stuff. So it's just a great way to network and meet people and... Now, Mutiny Radio is all about comedy, and you provide opportunity to comedians, not just during the festival, but all the time. You were telling me you got like four or five mics. You're doing mics five days a week now, right? Yeah, I run mics yeah. Monday through Friday. I, I mean, it's 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 almost kind of a, it's not a selfish endeavor, but I wish when I was starting out that there was someone like me who was nice to people and was like, hey, here's where all the shows are. I mean, now we have Bacon, we have Bay Area Comedy Network. But when I started 11 years, my 11-year anniversary is actually coming up July 17th. Terrific. 2022 is my 11 year. And when I started, there was no bacon. There was no pre-sign. There was no, you had to, there was nobody sharing where the mics were. You had to like figure out in whispers where they were because you didn't want other people to take the time and you were rushing around from place to place. Don't tell them about Nick's Crispy Tacos, Shh, you know. So... <laughs> Now, I, I've, I've always wanted things to be different, that it makes it, that there's a place where you feel like you're at home and that you know the people around you and it's not scary. It's not like when you go, are they going to make fun of me? Are they not going to, it's like, no, we're all buddies. Come on, you know, start trying new stuff. Be weird to have it's that. A better environment and you're really part of that, you know. Yeah. Now, you've got this fabulous vacation coming. I think we're going to four episodes all at once to cover it. And you're going to Greece, right? Yeah, yeah. Some people like to go to Burning Man. Um, I like to go to Burning Man with water next to it and nice bathrooms and people that speak Greek. But it's um, <laughs> like it's it, it, to go to Burning Man cheaply. It costs about fifteen hundred dollars. So that's kind of my threshold of what I would spend on a vacation. Right. And in Greece, that's all I'm spending. Like the, I got the airfare before the gas prices went kablooey, right. and it's free to camp in Greece. So I'm going to meet some buddies. We're going to go around to the islands. I'm going to spend like less than 1500 bucks and live like a queen on a beach. Oh, really? um, yeah. And just not think about come. That's not true. I'll think about, I'll write a lot. I think, but I just, I forget, I don't know who I am without comedy. I, I'd so I need to, it's been three years since I've traveled. And so, and I've just been doing comedy nonstop every day. And to take a break for a month and be like, 
who am I? Because I, I've sort of forgotten. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be important, and it's going to change my comedy when I come back. Yeah, because your perspective will be fresh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and really good. then I won't be so caught up in the day-to-day -day drama of the San Francisco comedy community. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get it, you know. You're going to reset, essentially. Yeah. The only bad thing is that Greece hates weed. There's no weed in Greece. Oh. They're totally against it. So I'm just not going to smoke weed for a month, which uh -huh. is going to be another cleansing, like life affirming, strange thing to do for me. I'm going to quit smoking cigarettes and I'm not going to smoke any weed for an entire month. And we'll see what happens when I come back. If I'm like still this enormous pothead or if I've, you know, if I chill out a little bit and what happens when I don't smoke cigarettes? Like, because yeah, I still run and work out and stuff, but I smoke. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering, you know, how much faster my mile time will be <laughs> without cigarettes. Yeah, it's probably going to change and it's probably going to, well, let's find out. I'm not going to predict. We'll see yeah. what happens. Yeah. Now, listen, about these uh, mics that people can, I just want to focus on the ones that are at Mutiny Radio. You have yeah. Fantastic Clubhouse. You have Joke Workshop. When are these? Because people like that they're then broadcasting also on the air. Yeah, I have so many podcasts that are there in perpetuity. Mondays at 6 is Joke Workshop, and comedians do four minutes of material, and they get four minutes of comments by their comedian peers. Like I take copious notes and try to be really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's Monday, 6 to 8. You can find it on our website in our index, mutinyradio.fm. You look at the index, Joke Workshop. And then Fridays at 6, I run Happy Hour. And okay. that's from 6 to 8. And same thing, you can find them. And uh, that's tonight. And yes, it, it is. Really, it's really great. You'll listen to – you'll see – this is the other thing. I was talking to some comics the other day, and they were like, all the guys that are past at Punchline right now, like, they used to be mutiny people. I'm like, well, I don't – Think they're not like used to be they still show up but yeah, <laughs> yeah like ryan levine and ian levy and brooke heineken and Melissa isbell and marty cunney I, I mean i can keep on all the people that are now like doing bigger and things in the community the kids that are starting are like they started at mutiny i'm like yeah you guys want to look through my list like i have everybody's <laughs> name it's just it's it's amazing if you think about it i, I and i don't want to do one of those flex things but i should one day go through all my old lists and just type everybody's name who's ever done a set at Mutiny. And it's thousands of comedians. Yeah. And there's some gems in there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. People who are doing like great. They moved to, they moved to New York. They moved to LA. David Borey, the voice of Comedy Central, he did a show with me back in like, you know, 2013. So everyone's mm -hmm. kind of been through the doors. Okay, now, Pam, how can people find you out there on the internet, social media? Now, we know about mutinyradio.fm. You just plugged your Instagram. You're on Facebook. Is there a website also? How do, how do people get in contact, get involved, not just with Mutiny Radio, but, like, about you and booking, et cetera? Yeah, you know, it's pathetic, but it's Facebook, baby. Like, I... <laughs> I, I might I am Mutiny Radio, so if, if you follow our Instagram, Mutiny Radio SF, it really is just Pam. There is no Pam Benjamin. Mm -hmm. Like I, I've always hid behind the mutiny name. And you can oh I mean, I'm such a Luddite. That's one of the things is if I get these grants that I've applied for, you know, I'm gonna be able to have money to hire people to do all those things that I don't know how to do. I'm forty seven years old. I don't understand. I can't 
I, I'm on my phone right now talking to you. It makes no sense to me. I appreciate that. I can't. The world is moving so fast, and I, I want to be a part of that. But then again, I don't. I can't learn these new skills. But I understand that people understand that and that they should be paid for that. So hopefully, when yeah. I get these grants, I can because not everybody's good at everything, and technology and connection through social media just isn't my strong suit. Yeah. So uh, it's one of those things I kind of want to offload to some child for money at some point. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because that would perfectly augment and support, you know, that would be the part that's missing, filled in by these youngsters. It's a good plan. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. uh, you can find me, I mean, honestly, and it's, I'm just so embarrassed, but Pam Benjamin, Facebook, it, yeah. and Mutiny Radio Director at gmail.com if you ever want to get in touch with me directly. And uh, and thank you for saying is the is this comedy submission on the website? Because honestly, I don't know. <laughs> um, I link. I usually link the Facebook and the website, but or I have a person do that. But I need to do that because that's one of the ways that people will say ah, I can submit. But yeah. I've already had like forty six submissions, and there's still a month left open, which means, I mean, last year I only had a hundred submissions, so I'm already like. You know, in the last two weeks is when people really hit it gangbusters. Yeah. The best thing about this year is that because I have so many different venues of different, like, caliber, I can have – I can offer more opportunities to more comics. So maybe there are some comics who aren't as seasoned. I can still have them come out and do a bunch of shows and experience the whole festival. And I'm maybe not going to give them, like, the, a main stage show at the Alameda Comedy Club. But they'll still get a taste and a flavor for what stand-up comedy in San Francisco is about. So I'm hoping that I don't say no to anybody. But I'm probably going to have to because, you know, logistically, I've got 10, 10 venues. Yes. Three shows a night. That's 30 shows. Five people a show. So it's like, I, but I want to try to include everybody. Everybody, yeah. So. You are going to see feeling. That's right. Okay, now, Pam, everyone at home is poised to watch this movie. It's a Charles Bronson movie called The Stone Killers. We're going to all press play at the exact same time here in the studio and everybody at home. So why don't you go ahead, Pam Benjamin, and give us that celebrity comedian countdown. Oh, you guys are all ready to watch Stone Cold Dick Killers. Here we go. Three, two, one. Go! Oh, movie time. Thank you, Celebrity Comedian Countdown, uh, for the Celebrity Comedian Countdown. Appreciate it. Check out all his stuff, or her stuff. I'm excited for this movie. It said Columbia. Originally, this was United Artists. Now, look, if you got the sound up, we're hearing birds chirping. What a nice nature. I don't hear birds chirping. Interrupted by the deadly streets of New York, the dirty roads and alleys of New York. So are you saying that New York City was all nothing but flowers until Chuck Bronson showed up? Uh, he's right there, right? That blurry face? That's Chuck. And he is heading in, just like Dirty Harry. He's not waiting. They've got the place surrounded. And he's being recorded, too, just like Dirty Harry, right? The, the press hates Dirty Harry. Because I told him to go in. They call you dirty, Sergeant Callahan. What does that mean? <laughs> All right. You well, should really shampoo it, Callahan. Why? Well, your hair is dirty. Dirty. Dirty, Harry. Harry, right, this martini tastes awful. There's so much olive juice in it. What's the deal? 
<laughs> dirty. Dirty. Okay, so there's somebody up there. It's a young Hispanic kid, and he's like, come on, kid. You got two choices. You know, he's being tough cop, but at the same time, he's not just going in there guns blazing. He's giving this guy a chance. But then he's going to kill the guy. Uh, yes. <laughs> it wasn't, but it was by choice. Yeah, I mean, he had no choice. Well, I think he had a choice. Down, look, guy turns around to shoot him. That's why he gets shot. But uh, the place is surrounded, and he's heading down a fire escape to the cops. Why shoot the guy? Just he was going to shoot him. Down. He had a gun right at his face. No, but that's what I mean. Stick yourself back in the apartment, let right. him run downstairs, and get busted by the whole city. Right, the whole city's there. They must have had a stuntman union issue because that guy didn't fall down. He just like leaned yeah, over. He hung. Well, thank God. So he's handing in this badge and gun because he is in fucking trouble. Oh, for shooting someone in front of the oh, CBS News? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. they, they do know he's Charles Bronson, right? No, they don't. And you hear this voiceover announcer that the city is, why couldn't he have been saved? You know, it's like a... Will it ever end? The really? Who is that, Stan Lee? <laughs> so they're like, don't worry, it'll all come out in the hearing. And he's like, nah, I'm washed up. So essentially what's going to happen is he's going to get reassigned all the way out to Los Angeles. You know, they, they, they essentially fire him, but get him another job. Oh, and the other coast, 3,000 miles away from them? Yep. That's right. You are out of here. We yeah. like you. We don't want to fire you, but you are out of here. Homicidal cops. It's a bad image. We're sending you to Los Angeles. Yes. If we if there was land past Los Angeles, we would put it's an ocean. We would have put you there. <laughs> Santa Monica would have taken us to the city of Los Angeles. It is. You are relocated to Hawaii. Sweet. That would I would see that movie, right? The, the, <laughs> Don't pit Luau killer. <laughs> the pineapple killer. So <laughs> what, what's happening here is it's like the autopsy, but this is a woman from his old hometown. And what we're getting is deep philosophical thoughts. You know, uh, Charles Bronson, his name's uh, Lou. Don't. <laughs> no, I'll get to that. It really kind of doesn't make sense um, because uh, there's, they are, there's, they, a stone killer is a guy who's not part of the family, not part of the mafia, and who's hired to be like a hidden face, you know, someone you wouldn't expect. But they hire an army of them. Huh. His name is Lou Torrey in this film. It's based off of a book. They changed his name. But he is now, oh, look at the. Yeah, they, it's that computer graphic. It's Dino De Dolores, or however you pronounce his name, one of the great movie producers. Yes. Now that's Norman Fell. No, it yes. isn't. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Excuse me. I'm sorry. This is a Michael Loser film, and they want to get that up. <laughs> Michael Loser. We've done Michael Loser films, right? Michael yes, Winner. We have, and you already knew of him. He was like a a big guy on uh, talk shows in England. He yeah. had a restaurant column every week. He he. We when uh, we watched go, when we watched Going Bananas, which was a Canon film. Uh, I watched a documentary on Canon called Electric Boogaloo, the Canon's movie story. And Michael Winter is all over this because the next movie these guys do together is next year is uh, Death Wish. That's but we right. know, 
we know Winter from Death Wish 3 and Death Wish 4, The Crackdown. And in the documentary, they're saying that Winter was not a pleasant guy. That yeah. he did a lot of nasty stunts and he just was kind of a crash. Like, so some of these stunts in his movies, I wonder like how much people are really in pain because <laughs> they're really nasty. I don't know. Well, in this film, there was only one serious accident. It happens in the parking garage at the end. But I'm sure he was a jerk. Okay, they got a lot of rental cars from Hertz, right? So it goes, Hertz was so concerned with the damage, they sent a representative to reclaim them. Winner supposedly told the rep, you should be glad we're you're crashing your fucking awful cars. You'll be able to write them off and completely get nice new ones. <laughs> That's what he said to the guy. Uh, more people need to be more frank to their sponsors. <laughs> you should be glad I threw up your hot dog. Now, it's not a sponsor. He was spending money renting cars. They heard what it was for, and they sent a representative down there to get their cars back. A complete state of death. That's even a stupider name. Well, he'll even say that line in the movie, a complete state of death. And it isn't, like, highlighted. He just says it offhandedly. See, this was a book. Um, Don Garner wrote a book called A Complete State of Death in 69. So four years later, this film is born. Um, it was his second film. He did this other book called The Liquidator in 65, which they made into a film. And um, they changed a lot of stuff. The original book was in the United Kingdom <laughs> and then moved it to the U.S. Yeah. Well, because it was New York City and now he's in Los Angeles. So they're they're hitting all, of the, you know. I guess, yes. Um, so it... It was called Derek Tory in the book, and now he's Lou Tory. And um, I don't know. It's very loosely based. Charles does not call Lewis. What, what's the first name? The original name? Uh, Derek. Derek. Ow! Wow. Now, this is Lipper, and he is going to be the first one to start off our plot. Now, there's racism going around. The guy frisking him right now is the father from the Waltons. Oh, what do you know? So he's using the N-word like crazy. And Charles okay. Bronson is like, your Southern hate is showing. Like, Charles Bronson is a little racist in this film. But in this part, it's supposed to establish he's the good cop. Sure, right. he's dirty Harry, but he's honest. He's fair. He doesn't just kill people for no reason. And he's not a racist. Oh, good for Chuck. I didn't know, I didn't know that about Chuck. I'm going to have to apologize to his family. So now um, they're, he's pressuring them, like, you're going to go away for a long time. Our justice system isn't kind to your kind. So the, he tells them what room to go to. And they go into that room and find a guy named Armitage. Okay? Cool. George Armitage, the director? <laughs> no. Now, you see this little person? Yeah. He's just there for eye candy. They'll never do anything with him again. Well, you know, the the, the SROs in the 70s, they were some seedy places, huh? Uh-huh. Well, this is Skid Row. Who the oh. hell are you? It's oh, they were pixelated. Kisses them. Fucking cops. Yeah. There wasn't another better copy on YouTube. No, I, I bet. You know, sometimes with these copies, if you minimize it, it's less torturous. You know what uh -huh. I mean? But... I'm watching this on the PlayStation, so I want to see it all. So Armitage is like, I know your face, but I can't make the name. He goes, I sent you up for two years, that kind of thing. 
Oh right, yeah, yeah. He's a he's a old mobster. Norman hey, Fell. Norman Fell. This is the reason why I picked this movie, Carl. I went to IMDb. I looked up Norman Fell, and this movie was available. Did you also get the Boneyard off the same way, or you bumped into the Bone? Norman Fell was in the Boneyard, which we saw, and I think they blew it. Remember in that film because he looks not like Mister no, at all. No, he's not. You know, he's clean cut. The one thing you could say about Norman Fell uh, in Bullet and in this movie, uh, when he acts like in uh, Ocean's Eleven, right? Clean, tight suit, cropped, tight hair. The graduate. You know, but in the boneyard, he let it go. He had like long hair and he had a mustache. mustache yeah. yeah, he was had a ponytail. Ponytail, right? And I ended up look arguing like... that the director's a dummy. The director has Phyllis Stiller not wearing a wig. We're talking about the boneyard again. You can't let this movie go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, Armitage says you're gonna need me. I can tell you about Wexler. And Charles Bronson is like Wexler, Wexler. Tell me about Wexler. I don't. I don't support fiction. He goes, nah, no games, no names. Ooh. So basically he's setting it up that like, uh-oh, look out. Uh-oh. They shot him right in the middle. Oh, Armitage is dead. The, the airport security at LAX is so lax. I, th I think this is the Bob Hope Airport. I think it's Burbank. <laughs> now, the truth is it's JFK. He's oh, yeah. He flew him back to New York for a murder charge, and he got he gets killed. But now Bronson is like, Lou Torrey's like, what's up? What's up? I mean, why would they kill him? This guy hasn't been a hip hop man for the mob for at least 10 years. Okay, They're so you mentioned the mob. This movie is 1973-74, and it's in between The Godfathers. And we watched the trailer yeah. to this film last week, and one, the narrator says he's up to his eyeballs in Godfathers. Yeah, that's right. This was influenced. Okay, there's two things that made this film happen. One is if there was no Dirty Harry, we wouldn't have this film. And secondly, the Godfather, the mobsters in this bite a lot off of the, the is it a myth? I don't know. In the mind of uh, people in the 70s who had just seen The Godfather, they bring those kind of mobsters back for us in the film here. I think it's just a natural cultural residue. I mean, we probably have bad guys that emulate, you know, the most popular culture it's the same archetype you know we yeah. still have hans zimmer in our world and we saw and in this world they're still godfathers so here we've got he's walking back to the precinct he worked at two years ago before he got moved out to the coast and everybody's like hi aloo hi Lou. <laughs> that kind of thing how come you haven't seen you around oh right it says a force he shot That's a man right. in front of the proof yeah in front of all the cameras you dummy <laughs> So now he's like going over it with his old captain. Why would they kill Armitage? He's not of any value. Does the name Wexler mean anything to you? Wexler? Wexler? Never heard of him. Run it downtown. See if it rings a bell with anybody. Is that your Charles Bronson impersonation? Yeah. Hey, Carl. It's a funny thing. Charles Bronson. He, he grew up in a family that were, they were uh, immigrants. Let me see here. Um, it was a Roman Catholic family. He was the 11th of 15 children. It's wow. not in front of me where he's from, but his parents were 
had a very serious thick accent. And so when he grew up, he'd only speak their native language at the house. And so when he'd go to school, he'd have their accent. Even to today in this film, people aren't always sure if he's an American because he's got some sort of accent. He has great cadence. You know, I mean, Chuck Bronson is the real deal because he has he's not a great actor and a lot of his films are questionable, but yeah. what a presence, dude. I mean, like mm-hmm. walks into a room, you know, punks go flying as Mike Meehan, Michael Meehan is this comedian in Los, in Los yeah. Angeles, San Francisco, part of the Meehan brothers. And he does a cooking show with Charles Bronson. Wow. There's a knock on the door. Who could it be? Could be a punk. <laughs> I'm going to put a shotgun in this turkey. Are you feeling lucky, punk? No, that's not my no, movie. No, that was not no, my that, that wasn't me. So well, at the height of his fame in the early 70s, which means now, right. he was the world's number one box off attra- attraction. I'm sure that won't happen until Death Wish next year. He got a million dollars per film after that, which in that, in 1970. That's pretty good money. Yeah. Well, you know, as we say, that's a lot of money. I mean, that's the equivalent of a of million dollars in 1973 money. Yeah, in, in 1970. Okay, so now they're strong-arming JB, who sells pot, and he's bragging right now. Go ahead, turn up the sound, because he's got a funny voice. Okay, hang on a second. He's bragging about his pot. Yeah. He's got the best voice. Yeah, so once again, it's another old um guy who chuck put away you know i remember you so they're like we could bust you right now you get five years for this because of your record or you can keep your ears open for the airport killing you know we're armitage they want any information that you have about the guy who got killed at the airport they don't have cases so so they're we're still in new york then right yeah, he's going to be in New York for a little while. He came in. Oh, here, you see, they're ruining <laughs> this guy's fish. Yeah. Because he's, you know, he doesn't pay their protection money. I think they're sending a message about him swimming with. No, no. it's no, it sleeps with. They're putting gasoline on his fish to ruin it. Okay, now we're going to meet our main mobster, and you'll know his face. Yeah. Do you think it's because the fish were joker fish? You know, the, the smiley joker fish? I don't know of that. What is the that? Joker p- put uh, toxins in the the water of Gotham? And oh, all the fish had Joker Jack, faces. Uh, right, Jack from the seventies. Wait, Jack Nicholson one? No, no. I, I, Jack Nicholson had one where he would make people force smiles. But mm. in the comics in the seventies, they had a nasty run where he would poison the water, and all the fish had Joker's face on it, like the, the gotcha. makeup and the smile. They were Joker fish. Okay, now this is Lipper. Right, guy. I remember him getting beat up by the cops. Yeah, so now he's freaking out. He's talking about, we're getting a lot of nom stuff. He's talking about how he, they perform lobotomies sometimes on prisoners. He's like, you're not cutting me. You're not cutting me. He goes, what we did in nom was crazy, but we never crossed the line like you guys. You know, we're right. having a big... Basically, Nam is fresh in the mind of everybody. And there's, you know, the stone killers they hire are all vets that out of Nam. And we're going to get a lot of Nam in this uh, film, talking about how unfair it is and everything. 
City Jail. How generic. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say. Okay, uh, now this guy is that reporter on the Hulk who is always following David Banner around. Yeah, what kind of newspaper finances that? Like, it's, you know what? You tried. I'm going to put you down on the beauty pageant down the street. No, man, I got to go to Montana. Apparently, there's a doctor helping people. A drifter doctor. With green skin. See how he got in on the wrong side of the car? Didn't he? Yeah. Today, with our bucket seats, that's not relatable. But back then, when you had a couch as your front seat. (laughs) The love seat. The love seat. Perfect for the driving. His name is Jack Colvin, the Hulk reporter, and in this film, he's called Jumper. Best known for his role in the ta- as the tabloid reporter Jack McGee in the Incredible Hulk's television franchise. 77 to 82, that's a long Oh, movie. look at that. That's some Goya. Or no, Velasquez, I guess. Uh, no, you uh, were right. Um, it is Goya? Goya. It's uh, Zeus it Eats is. His Children. Here it is. The unsettling poster Bronson's character has in his apartment is a detail from Saturn devouring his son. Saturn. by Spanish artist Francisco Goya. Nailed it. Yeah, so no, I can relate. Really, really um, haunt him. I guess uh, they didn't have any Bay City roller posters at the time. Now, Jumper's going to meet this guy who's like a jazz sax guy, and he's listening to it right now. They're basically part of some sort of mobster plot kind of thing. They got to steal a car, change the plates, drop it off at this other place for another guy. It's like they're they're pawns on the chessboard of this mobster. <laughs> More like lipstick. What? The guy looks like a giant six-foot lipstick. Oh, does he? He's uh, an interesting character because he's like this jazz sax guy and he's active and he's a swinger he goes both ways and um uh he he won't make it till the end though (laughs) oh look at him standing around waiting for david banner (laughs) don't get me angry mr colvin you wouldn't like me when i'm angry you say that to me every week (laughs) i haven't got you angry once (laughs) you're not even ticked off you're not even irritated yeah i'm irked oh okay now this guy you can't see from the pixelation but that's angel from rockford files oh really yeah the father no the guy with the hat yeah the father don't no, you remember who, in Rockford Files, there was always like an informant he needed info off of, and it was that weak guy, Angel. Right, I got you. No, I thought I thought it was first brief second, the guy that always hangs out in his trailer. But right. he comes home and he'll be like, hey, uh, Rockford, you got two voice messages. I could play them for you. On your no, wasn't that an inch? wasn't a voice message, right? It was an answering machine. Yeah. That was an interesting opening, how it would always be a different person. People calling on the answering machine for Rockford. Yeah. There's John Ritter. There's John Ritter, our cop. Really? And he is escorting Lipper right now. This is a couple years before Three's Companies. So him and Norman Fell will rub elbows in this film. Neither one knowing what's to come. Can I use the bathroom? 
you be my guest, Lipper. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, it's jazz saxophone guy giving a gun to Lipper. Right, that makes a lot of sense. It's all part of the mobster plot. Come on, don't make a career out of it, Lipper. Can I help you, sir? Yeah, hi, I like to use your bathroom. Okay, uh, we won't search you. Go ahead. Freeze! Look, he's got city jail on his butt now. <laughs> well, designer jeans were big back then. Now we're going to walk out here nice and easy, escorting a prisoner. Got it, Tripper? Got and it, gave, Tripper. gave him a fake gun, right? No, he, he took his gun, dropped the bullets out of it, and returned it to... Lipper and Tripper. Oh. Lipper and Tripper, that's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, put the this is a gun. Now, Chrissy, put the gun down. <laughs> that was another very special threes company. That was when she was negotiating her contract. They were like, seriously, seriously. Put the gun down. You know, she got screwed. Come on, Suzanne Summers was the no, fucking star. No, no, no. Oh, your fourteen-year-old ass was like, oh, I can't wait to see this guy trip over a couch. No way, you're watching. <laughs> No, I've always hated that story. I've always hated that. I mean, every she says that she was the sex symbol, and that got the they got ratings because men were watching her every week, but she didn't get the money for it. She was squeezing them for money. What she should have realized is this was her fame vehicle. From this, she could have launched a movie career. She could have gone on. Others did. Um, Not necessarily. Is that really true? Not really true, right? Jack Tripper was in a few things. Oh, tr oh, Jack Tripper was fine. We don't have to worry about Jack Tripper. But I mean, you look at Chrissy. You look at uh, uh, the other. They all had just regular careers, you know. Janet. Janet. Yeah. I forget her real name. Chrissy Hines? No, Chrissy. I forgot. Oh, Jan No, I'll come to us. So, but what I'm saying is that she sunk. Okay, she was going for the money. She didn't get it. So she didn't say, okay, well, I'll stay on the show because this keeps me in the public eye. It will lead to more roles. No, she said, I'm out of here, as if she was going to go on to be this big, big star. She didn't. She went on to do the Thigh Master. Well, she also, uh, she has cook cookbooks, too. Yeah, exactly, Mike. Yeah. She has cookbooks. She isn't in Mission Impossible 7. Right? You know how people don't have to be in Mission Impossible 7. You, you get, if you're not on an iconic TV show, you're going to be remembered as that role forever. So whatever happens, you know, you have to acknowledge that you have this connection to the public from this character. And also as an actor, you want to move on or, you know, maybe you just want to move on, you know? Bullshit. Okay, so <laughs> Lipper has been shot by the same people who killed Armitage. They've shot him. And now we're getting more nom stuff. About how like Nam made him a psycho. No, look, oh. I can't, I can't, I can't. I gotta go back to this. Now, if Bruce Willis was on Moonlighting saying, This, I'm the star, I want a million dollars, and right. didn't do Moonlighting anymore, he would not have gone on. Look how lax that place is. This is we love lax. We see lax all the time in our movies now. <laughs> it's like the eighth time we've seen that little carousel thingy. Okay, I'm dropping uh Chrissy, uh, because I don't think I'm gonna convince you. Okay. Like, oh, she's a strong woman who made the right choice. Yeah, to do the thigh master and make cookbooks. I think she got screwed. That's all. But you know, it was she was the reason why they had ratings. She was herself, 
and they replaced her like that, Mike. And they even replaced that one like that. Meaning yeah, because it the wasn't. F- the show was still on the air and popular and had two spinoffs, The Ropers and Jack Tripper Restaurant. Do you, do you remember a show that's oh. never on called The Dukes of Hazard? Yes. So the stars of The Dukes of Hazard say, fuck you. We're not doing the show unless you give us money. So do you remember that season where their cousins came over and they looked oh, exactly right. yeah. <laughs> They spent a season with these two lookalikes who happened to be the cousins of the the, the Dukes. And then okay, they came so back a year later. Both, uh, damn it, not Lipper. Um, Jumper. Jumper does what he was told. Takes the car to LAX, drops it off, gets on a plane to go to Louisiana for their plot, for their plot. But it doesn't work out. He gets busted. Now... Okay, this is like, you know, like the bad guy, police chief commissioner. It's always that way, you know? Right. You guys are making a it... So they're saying, look, Armitage is dead. Lipper's dead in the exact same way. There's got to be a connection. Some mob thing is brewing. And of course, he's like, if you're wrong, it's your ass. If you cross the line one more time, it's that kind of. What do you do when you get out of the cops, Norman? I'm gonna get. I'm gonna rent apartments. I'm gonna. I'm gonna invest in real estate. Spend more time with my wife. Are you a big fan of the Ropers, the spinoff series of Three Not at all. Not at all. I was a fan of Don Knotts. Stanley, but it wasn't about Mr. Roper. It was Mrs. Roper that was the best part of that. Yeah, she was. She just wanted sex. She was like a peg bunny of her time. She's obviously a fictional character. A wife who wants sex. Well, I mean, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Jumper, we're going upstairs. Why? Where are we going? To the roof. To the rooftop, that's all. Okay, so now they know that Jumper knows something. So now we're going to see tough guy Chuck... um, Okay, the car that he gave to Angel was part of the murder of Lipper, okay? So he's like, Jumper, we got you on murder. He goes, what? Murder? I stole a car. He goes, no, 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 no. This car was used in a killing. We're going to squeeze you. (laughs) Now, when he says the name Wexton, Jumper goes like this. (laughs) What? So Chuck's no dummy. You know something about Wexton. Puff it up. <laughs> you can tell he's lying. His sideburns are turning red. <laughs> I want to investigate a green man. I don't know nothing about a green man. That's not what I heard. You got him angry? <laughs> Tell the beans, Lipper. I mean, Jumper. Don't, aren't, isn't he supposed to be handcuffed to the table? And uh, why can't he pace around? I don't know. This is the 70s. They let Lipper use the bathroom. Right. That's right. You know. Which is kind of stupid. He's like, look, he says Wexton. It's going to make, maybe it's over already. I love this pacing he's doing. He's getting his steps in while interrogating. So he's going to punch him and stuff. And then Jumper's going to be like, you can't punch me. Then Chuck is going to call in the cop and goes, this man says, I assaulted him. Does he look hurt? He goes, no, he doesn't look hurt. Thank you, officer. You know, letting Jumper know. Oh, I'm really happy to be on this film, Mr. Winter. What's my scene? 
Chuck Bronson is going to kick the shit out of you. <laughs> he says, yeah. to him, he pushes him out of the chair and he goes, you can't hit me. And he goes, I'm not going to hit you. And then Jumper looks a little relieved. And then he goes, pow, and he hits him. Lefty's going to hit you. Does he, do you see any marks on his face, officer? No, I don't nope. see a thing. I see a couple phone book markings, but that's about it. Oh, I wish I could remember our friend from New Jersey. I knew a guy who did security at uh, uh, the Meadowlands. Uh-huh. And he was like, yeah, you use a phone book so when you hit people, so it doesn't leave a mark. Ow. But doesn't but, that blunt your blow? Well, no, it just doesn't leave a baton mark. But one of the greatest things he said was, like, uh, he did security for Depeche Mode and Giant at uh, Meadowlands. Right. What worthless people. <laughs> Depeche Mode was? The fans. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so now it's looking to make a deal, that kind of thing. Is there blood in his mouth? Yeah. But not according to the cop. I don't see nothing. Oh. Strawberry quick. Looks fine. Yeah. Are you drinking <laughs> a, a raspberry smoothie? And back in the 70s, they'd be like, what the hell's a smoothie? They had a wheat germ was kind of like frozen yogurt and wheat germ was kind yeah, of the health thing in New York during the 70s. I remember when uh, we were watching um, the one in which uh, the guy is his daughter's kidnapped, but it was the wrong daughter. and he Night of the Juggler. Yeah, Night of the Juggler. And that's when yogurt, that was around the same time as this, and yogurt was new. Remember it was he, new, right. The mob came in. You know, Sopranos does the same bit. The mobsters are at the yogurt store going, what is this? How come it's frozen? Oh, he can't stop yeah. beating the shit out of that guy. He really just wants Lipper to cooperate because he knows. Okay, so now they're going to the place where the car was you know, like that motel, and they will ID jumper. The, the, everyone will talk. This great. is the ugliest man. Oh, my God. Well, that's a great shirt. <laughs> I mean, I don't think they even have that color anymore. He's like, so they see, obviously, the, like, okay. prostitute or whatever, and he, she, he goes, he goes that's my niece. <laughs> Chuck gave him a look. Yeah. And, and niece comes out and is like, yeah, that's him. Look at his face is all even more. Yeah, it's all bunt out of shape. Norman Fell will be later like, uh, his face looks pretty marked up. And he goes, oh, I don't know. And he goes, well, it better heal fast. Like, all that <laughs> is Norman Fell protects Chuck because he knows that Chuck is on to something and Chuck is right. Out of hallways. Wow. Yeah, here we go. Handcuffs, that's different. There he is. His face looks pretty beaten. It better heal fast. Norman Fell acting, all you have to do is make sure you don't breathe through your mouth during (laughs) (laughs) He's always mid-puff. Oh, okay, hold your breath, Carl, when we're passing by a cemetery. Yeah, because it's not polite to breathe when others can't. Now we're going to finally get the backstory. 43 years ago, to April 10th, the exact day, April 10th, there was a huge mob hit, okay? They they wanted to uh, 
they wanted to make a deal with the Jews and the Irish and have a national syndicate. Yeah, yeah I saw I saw Fargo season four. <laughs> Refresh my memory. That's the one where the gangsters swap sons. Oh, right. To keep with the peace. Chris Rock, right. Right, Chris Rock. Okay, so what happens here is he's basically saying he's been waiting 43 years until April 10th will fall on the exact right day, and this main mobster guy will have a birthday. He's going to get all the heads of the family in the same room and do to them what they did to his relatives, which is essentially kill him. And that's what Truck will try to prevent this whole film. There's Angel. Can you see it's Angel? Do you know him from the Rockford Files? You know, maybe I, I don't. You know, we we rewatched a bunch of Rockford Files in this household because it, it's on streaming and it's a good show. But I, I remember the just the loafers who hang out in his uh, uh, trailer. You know, right. it was I think it was his dad, but it, usually they'll come in with a paper bag and they'll pull out a bottle of liquor and they'll pull out a grapefruit or something like that. And they'll be like, yeah, I got you some milk. I'm going to put it in your trailer fridge. <laughs> Okay, so basically, that's what we're finding out. It, as revenge and to get control of this syndicate that they made for himself on the same date at somebody, a relative's birthday party, he's going to have all the heads of the family in one place and they're going to kill him. Oh, well, that's a terrible parting gift for the guests. Uh -huh, party. Right. right. Do you, what what's is, in your gift bag? Poison? Yeah. Bullets. Bullet. <laughs> what you get? I owe you. I gotta. I will kill you later. <laughs> My bag is full of lead. It's you filled them full of lead. You filled them full of lead. That's what you told me to do, boss. Fill them full of lead. Why did you stab him with the number two pencils? Well, boss, you said. <laughs> Why'd you heat up the pencil before stabbing him with it? You said well, fill him up with hot lead. Angel is a Vietnam. That he's been a soldier since Pearl Harbor, 30 years, and now he's on the free market and he is organizing this thing. That's not the right word at all. He's organizing this like massive hit for do you recognize the mobster's face? I do recognize him. I, I feel like he was in the Godfather. Was he in the uh, trial? No, he wasn't, but you're right that he's that kind of guy. Yeah. This is Martin Balsam. He's playing Al Vascari. He was in 12 Angry Men, Psycho. Uh, as the private detective, he was at Breakfast at Tiffany's as a Hollywood agent. Huh. Now, I loved him in The Taking of Pelham 123 with Walter Matthau. He Did was he work Mr. with Matthau or was he in the subway? Uh, no, he was in the subway. But in the end, when he sneezes. Oh, that's that guy. Of course, Carl. I remember that guy. I love him. Um, he was in Murder in the Orient Express, All the President's Men, Dr. Kildare as a regular and his lowest thing was he was on Archie Bunker's place. Oh, uh, I guess he sat in Barstool number two. Right, that kind yeah. of thing. Or he was the that helper who's no, no, that wasn't him. No. But he was the little girl that Archie Bunker took care of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez, little girl. They found two people named Wexton, like in the in the police. You know, oh yeah, uh, they they looked. They're they're looking up at the computer right now. Yeah, the computer on file in these file cabinets. So basically, they're chasing down the lead of this Wexton, which will end up being a red herring in the end. 
He's so. got a desk. Like he shot a man two years ago and was kicked out of the force. And now he's, he's in Los like, Angeles now. He wasn't. He he got re. I don't know if it's true reassigned because I don't know that the police. I don't police think they is do that national, but. Hey, what's the scoop? Look at that short sleeves and a tie and a hat. And he's in the Waltons. Carl, you got to wear long sleeves if you're going to wear a hat indoors with a tie. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, David Banner would always be wearing long sleeves, but then as the Hulk, he'd have short sleeves. Yeah, short sleeves. Crazy. Okay, Better, so what are you doing this, in this town? I just bought $300 pair of pants, purple pants. Why? All right, go ahead. Sorry, Carl. I'm nothing. It's just the plot. Turn up the sound because he's making funny stuff. He's telling. He's saying if you have nice, sharp clothes, they always come back in fashion. But then he says, if I'm taking you out, you're going to wear a blue here. That's the part. <laughs> yeah, well, that's all it is to it. Uh, and this is Jack Tripper. So they're on the, they, they found a, a list of saxophone players with certain names, and they're going to find their sax player now. He's still wearing the same uh, outfit. Yes. He is. He is still wearing the same outfit. Come and knock it down my door. Do, do, Come do, and do. knock down my door. We've been waiting for. Um, so now we see that he swings both ways. There's his, right. like, not boyfriend, but tonight's boyfriend. They got to shame him. So they're going to take him downtown, learn what he, basically, they want to find out who hired them to, you know, one guy stole the car. That was Jumper. He's given them the names. You know, this guy did the killing. So they're they're on the case, but they're they're with the little fish right now. Gotcha. Oh, he has gone. And Jack Jesus. Cooper is like, halt! We're all aim. Halt or all aim. Halt or all aim. Yeah, listen, wearing tidy whities and keeping them white, God bless you. The thing is, it's so dumb to go up to a place that you don't know anything about, knock on the door with your guns out. You're not going to, you don't know what's in it. Why don't you watch the place for a couple days? That's a good point. And it's a nice what, neighborhood. Maybe you don't have time as a cop, but at least for a while, is anyone inside? What is his routine? When he leaves and goes to the grocery, that's when you pinch him, you know? Or you get a warrant or something. Or a warrant. Warrant Oats. Warrant Oats. It was great in 92 in the shade. He's great at everything. This okay, is so, that hippie cafe in LA from the early 70s. Right. He is on the, he is going to try to find one of the Wextons. And she's like, she's not here today. And, and he starts to squeeze her like, I could have the health inspector down here. I could have the vice squad checking out you. She goes, all right, fine. Here she is. <laughs> he is at this retreat. Um, it's called uh, Ashram. Does that sound familiar? Ashram of the Circulating Light. And basically, we're going to get some hippie stuff is essentially. But this what? is war. This is war weary hippies, though. This isn't like smiley 67 hippies. These are like the war has been going on for too long hippies. Yeah, you're right about that. I mean, this is 1973, and it was shot in May of, let me see here, 
it was shot in like one month. Wow. Um, they had a million three to make this film. It was not a, not a, you know, there weren't slouches. Girl, I want to raise the volume. I want to hear these hippies. Okay. I would like to bring up your next act, yeah. Carl. This is about why you should be a vegetarian. Oh, right, because if you're eating a hamburger, you're basically eating a camel, his friend. Uh, <clears throat> any questions? Oh, yes, from the camel. Uh, yeah, it is. It is Wednesday. Why you ask? <laughs> it's hump day. I get it. I, I get, get it. it. I love that commercial, that Geico commercial, because uh, at one point the camel says, Mike, Mike. And I got that a lot. You know, happy <laughs> hump day. Uh, so the time to turn, that was a good time to turn up the sound. But in this one, the Wexton girl is like, actually proposes him. He goes, you got the time? You want a ball? I never made it with the cop. I like how he walks out there and then shows a badge as if she didn't know he was a cop. Yeah, look at him. Yeah. And a lot of this film, he'll wear the gumshoe trench coat and hat. Very old fashioned. We've seen a lot of hippies on your show on screen. I love watching hippies on there. I never get tired of that. Me too. We watched a bunch of documentaries too, like Revolution '68, where they showed the free store and the upper hate, and then yeah, it was out. One, not a documentary, one, but they were hanging out on uh, not the upper hate. There's like a little park, like it used to be across from the old Christian Science Monitor, and they're all hanging out there. Like it's just funny, like. But yeah, I these are talking about going into the clinic for help. You're like, yeah, my foot hurts. Your foot hurts. Did you want any? Uh, yeah, right. So during the volume? 90s, I bought like these boots and I thought I was like king shit. And I was crossing Market Street in San Francisco and my boot got, the heel got stuck in the cable car uh, rail mm. right in the middle of Market Street because I was crossing in the middle of it and I couldn't get my foot out. Wow. And, you know, the cable car was coming and uh, whatever. Really? Well, I mean, yeah, it was. They they were always around, you know, like the the F line or what have you. So I was like trying to pull my Harold. Uh, Harold. Yeah. So I I pulled my boot out and I really sprained my. I must have pulled something in my leg because I was limping a bunch, and yeah. I was living in the Upper Hate where they have the Hate Ashbury Free Clinic. Yeah. Why not? Just, right here. Yeah. I said, I, I would like some free um, medical help. My foot is hurting. They go. Do you have syphilis? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. You want some penicillin? Yeah. Do you need a condom? They, they knew their they, clientele and it wasn't sore feet. Right. So basically, it's a meeting of the families. Are you sure you can get them all in the same room at the same time? You know, it's just more like there's a plot going on and we know what it is. One time... You know, he's keeping it to himself and everything. So one time, one of the guys is like, when do you want this all done? He goes, eh, April 10th, as if it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> Let me check my calendar. Okay, so this guy, this is our bad commissioner guy who's always wrong. And he goes, one of the Wexton guys is a Black Panther. The FBI thinks he's got to be our killer. <laughs> 
And he goes, well, can I wait till Tori gets back? And the commissioner goes, no! No, we're going to chase this black guy. We're going to chase the Black Panther. So that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing, like, you can't arrest our Black Panther. Right, he's the the wrong Wexton. Well, yeah, in the end, there is no Wexton. It's the name of a hotel. (laughs) (laughs) We got to find this Marriott. So they... The Waltons guy thought it was a big, a good idea to show up with like eight squad cars and raid the neighborhood. Know. Right. And so that will really piss off Chuck. He could have just gone in there and picked him up. But no, he had to make a big deal and have a lot of people it's, get hurt. Listen, Chuck knows the right way. You go in there, you tell him you're a cop, and then you shoot him. <laughs> so now he's going to go, why, Walton's father? Why, you idiot? <laughs> and then. Good night, John boy. And then Mr. Roper's going to be like, hey, calm down. I'll defend you, but I have to pretend like I don't like it. We need to have a meeting of the four families. Don't you mean the five families? Two are blended. Oh, because they married. Yeah, they got married and they're now. Now, the guy who's Jumper, who played the detective, uh, the, the reporter on the Hulk, this guy was in a comedy act in the 60s called Colvin and, w- and Wilder. Did you ever hear of them? I am going to YouTube Colvin and Wilder after our they show. They were very successful. Ed Sullivan, Dean Martin show, Tonight Show, and they had this farewell appearance at Carnegie Hall in New York. Um, oh. They were all over the stage in the United States and lots of television. They were a big deal, Colvin and Wilder, and we never heard of them. I'm going to check them out now. You know, we I have a lot in common with them because my farewell show is at Carnegie Hall as well. Uh-huh. Really? That right, is, what, how do you even get to Carnegie Hall? Uh, Say it. Practice, practice, practice. Practice, practice. practice. <laughs> okay. Now they find a photo of the sax player, which connects the two. So he goes, and, and John Ritter missed it. He goes, you couldn't catch a cold. You couldn't catch your breath. He's like really insulting John Ritter. And he goes, call in and get a replacement because you're coming with me. So Chuck has now made Jack Ritter, uh, John Ritter, a like plain clothes detective kind of guy. Right. Oh, the old pawn shop. Not here in this scene. Well, they're looking for the sax player who buys lots and lots of records. So they're going around. Now, this woman will tell them everything. She probably hates every customer she has. Do you know of an annoying uh, record customer, record store customer? (laughs) Oh, you want to arrest him? His name is Tony. (laughs) Turn it up. She just absolutely gives all the information. Case closed. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> now, Ritter is real nervous about uh, the people throwing rocks at the game. Right. Because just like 10 minutes ago, the cops came into the neighborhood and just yanked this guy out. Right. So now he goes to one of the Black Panther guys who is sort of like an informant. And the Black Panther guy is like, you get Wexton back. 
and I'll help you. And he's like, well, I don't know if I had that kind of power. So he gives them, he tells them where, um, you know, he tells them I'm looking for the sax player, Al Langley. And uh, I don't know, they're just sort of making a deal that Chuck really can't deliver. Okay. Like you get Wexton out and I'll get you Langley. That's the deal. Gotcha. Ooh, seven up commercial uh, poster. Oh, it's the Uncola. Remember that? I forgot all about that. Well, because, you know, there's cola and it's just not what you want. Right. It's colored dark. Uh, yeah, it has yeah. caffeine. Well, 7-Up had caffeine. 7-Up never had caffeine. Cola indicates caffeine. You oh, have to call your soft drink a cola. Caffeine. I guess. Okay. Here we are in New York and he's like talking to the police chief of New York. He goes, you know, we don't like to get involved in family business. He goes, hey, this is going to spill over. It's going to be your business soon enough. Basically, it's like a corruption at the highest level. Right. And this is when he goes, oh, when do you want this killing done? And he goes, eh, I don't know, uh, April 10? <laughs> April 10th again. Yeah, turn it up. Let's hear it. Because he does sure. it pretty well. He's so casual. <laughs> yeah, just uh, some hmm. random date. No, but that's a Saturday, boss. So April twelfth. So close to tax day. Okay, April eighth. Oh wait, wait, wait! I got to pick up my son at uh, his soccer practice. Can we make it uh, April tenth around two p.m.? Now, we talked about Norman Fell as Mr. Roper. You said Ocean's Eleven. We said The Graduate and Bullet. He was also in It's a Mad, Mad World. Yeah, that's right. He was Sergeant Towser in Catch-22. Which I never saw. I saw 20 minutes of that movie. Oh, you should definitely see Catch-22. You read the book, though. There's okay. a book? My... <laughs> okay, <laughs> never mind the movie. You should see the movie, but yeah. definitely read Catch-22. It's out there for free nowadays. You could just go on the internet and their PDF. But, if I, but you know, yeah, unless you have it, but you need to have internet. You see, there's so, a, um, what's what's the phrase I'm looking for? A Catch-22? A Catch-22. So you've used that term in your regular life without knowing where it came from. I know it came from a book, and I know it's a World War II Army term for... Some paradoxical, circular, logic right. bullshit. Well, you see, you 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 can't you you can't not fly the missions unless you're crazy, right? But you, you what was the catch twenty two? You are if you fly the missions, you're probably going to die. So that is crazy. I don't know. It was something in which you couldn't get out of service for flying the planes because just come from flying the planes, you can do it. I don't know. You have to read uh, the book. It's I'll been a long book. time. Is it in comic book form? No. I don't know. Maybe. 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 Okay, so now he goes to Norman Fell and says, you got to release Wexton. And he goes, why? And he goes, well, you know, you really wrong should. Guy. And he goes, oh, I'm not releasing Wexton. He had a shotgun in his apartment. He goes, your uncle has a shotgun, doesn't he? And there's seven billion between here and my in the Florida Keys. So he goes, all right, I'll release him. He just owns Mr. Roper. Right. He just owns Mr. Roper. 
So he goes to his Black Panther friend and says, all right, I got him out. And so he tells him he's making a recording session at this bar. Oh, so is he performing? Right? I want to hear. Now it's Dixieland. It's not worth hearing. Oh, there's lipstick. Now you see how he's on the trombone here, not the sack. Right. More like tromboner. You see that guy he was with? <laughs> so now he's he sees Chuck. Right. Oh, so the guy that came run in. away. Look, he's gonna pretend and boom. Like when uh, the typical jazz performers. It may there's Jack Tripper getting his ass kicked. It wasn't funny. Now we see gone in 60 seconds for a minute. All right, good. Car chase. Yep. That was a great movie, Gone in 60 Seconds. Yeah, that was a great film. The Junk Man was as exciting, even though it wasn't as good. It was good. It was good. And then Grand, Grand Theft Auto. Deadline. Well, Deadline Auto Theft was a ripoff. Uh and I'm just sitting there going, please don't ask for Death Watch 2. Please don't ask for Death Watch 2. And luckily, I got out of the podcast without you making us watch Death Watch. You, you mean God was 60 oh, seconds too. I'm so stupid. It could be marijuana. I think that I was sitting there going, please don't make us watch Gone. Six seconds too. I, I want to do God with 60 seconds too when we do a live show. If we do a, a one right. hour live show, we'll do that. Good idea. So here we have gone in 60 seconds cracking yeah. if there's a fruit stand in a movie it's getting knocked over right oh yeah they have bronson alerts you know how you get an amber alert on your phone <laughs> like fruit stands they have like a notification app where they'll right. say bronson's driving this way <laughs> if you if you get a bronson alert you immediately exit the flea market Ooh, once i got a candy levy report i'm like uh-oh armed and dangerous guys are coming john candy and ug levy are driving a car this way look how so we're really going to get the jumps and look, he's ridiculous yeah. that you would crash through a warehouse. You would need a responsible film director to make sure the safety of everybody. Oh, look how they've been hit. Yeah. Now watch, he, he see that? Yeah. It's unrealistic. And he will kill this guy by smashing him into a win, uh, into a storefront. Look at that. So much destruction. It's a great. I had to destroy your shit. This guy was getting away from me. Yeah, in real life, you just wouldn't crash your through the wall. Of oh, or what? He's chasing the guy. He might lose him. He's That's why it's not through your he's jazz. It's just it's... oh, nothing's at the drive-in. Yeah, the drive-in's not open today. Ow! You see how it uh, hit the? Yeah, this is pretty rough. This is like yeah. French Connection. Did you know in French Connection when they're doing the car chases and he keeps smashing the parked cars, that wasn't intentional? No, I didn't know that. Wow. Now, this is where he gets... You see how he's drunk, driving the wrong way. Look, They're look, not in England? Go under! Go under! Nice. Run! Lipstick, run! Skedaddle! Skedaddle! Wow, that's pretty Coming nuts. Time for your bike! Fuck yeah. It. See, if he was Dom from Fast and the Furious, oh, he shot right at me. Right. He would just get up. Oh, I need a, two Band-Aids. Chuck needs two Band-Aids. Now turn it up because he's like. 
you smash through. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I wanted you to hear. He goes, yeah, this was no, this was an accident. He goes, yeah, sure. And he goes, well, what would you call it? Witnesses says you used a car on him. Uh, oh, there's there Saturn. Is. Now he's having his, like, moment of conscience. Like, you know, is this worth it? What have I done? Yeah. You know, and this guy was a lead and we took him away from, you know. So he's seeing oh. his own mirror and he's getting... Getting all flashbacky. He was getting a numb flashback. He wasn't even serving a numb. Right. Now we're getting uh, the autopsy forensic stuff. He bought a bus ticket in this town and he had desert Mojave desert sand in his shoes. Why would a coroner know that? Well, it's, uh, yeah, well, not like, I yeah. know it's Mojave desert sand. I guess I, as a medical examiner, you need to know what kind of sands in people's shoes. Now, throughout the whole film, the Walton's father has been the dummy, the jerk, the idiot. And that will be borne out again in this scene in which his cigarette smoking or whatever he's doing will cause a fire. In the uh, police office? Yeah, in the garbage can, which he just can't seem to be smart enough to put out. So Chuck will put it out. Now, wasn't the father in on the Walton's name John Mann? John Boy, John Man, yeah. John Boy yeah. was John Boy Jr. <laughs> hey, John Man, what are you going to name your kid? His name is Ralph Waite. He was in Cool Hand Luke. He was in Five Easy Pieces. That's a pretty good Jack Nicholson film. Did you you just saw John Boy in Ozark? Remember that? Right. That's yeah. right. He was the father. Yeah. Uh oh. Uh oh. Burning down ass. But he'll be so incompetent, he can't put out his own fire. Jeez. Reminds me of this movie. They're talking it through right now, you know, that, you know, the Black Panther said that they were going to meet in the desert. Uh, the, you know, it's everything's pointing to the desert. So now, of course, Walton's dad is like, the desert is this freaking big. How are you going to find out? So he'll get his own helicopter. Is that realistic? No, I'll give you the short answer. Uh, hey, there's a garbage fire right here. Oh, hey, yeah. Speaking of which, what's up with the Trump administration? Am I right? I don't get it. Oh, it's a garbage fire. You never hear that expression? Oh. Like dumpster fire? Yes. I hate yes, that expression. I have. Dumpster fires are good. It cleans out the dumpster. You don't have to, like, lift it and throw it away. It just turns to ash. Well, people argue that forest fires are good because... Okay, this Not is this Angel, maybe you see he's Angel now. I don't think you know Angel. Uh, on the Rockford Files, Angel was always like the weak alcoholic. They would strong arm him. I he don't was like Huggy him. Bear to Starsky and Hutch. And he Rockford would get information. What have you heard on the street? And um, he was one of the best characters in that show. They did a mock-up of this elevator where they're going to do the killing, which is Totally over the top and ridiculous. You built your own elevator. You know, doesn't make sense. Yeah, and it's all to time. Hey, did he get the hippies to build it? What? You have a whole you have a whole commune of hippies. Like they can just give him a hammer and like no. nail. No, no, no. This is the Mojave Desert near LA. That was 
just a uh, that was by San Francisco area Bay Area. Sure, right. It's not the same place. Anyway, he gets his permission for a helicopter, and he goes, "If if Tori's wrong, it's your ass too." Okay, now we're here. We don't learn it yet, but we're here at the Wexton Hotel. And this is where, like, the mob owns the hotel, and there's going to be some sort of birthday party or whatever. And the place is going to get busted. Well, I'm, I'm jumping way ahead. Now we find out Angel's backstory, how he was uh, a soldier. What are you in this for? It's my job, sir. Go ahead and listen to him brag right. about himself. That's it. Oh, uh, the open market. Yeah, he's a freelancer now. He doesn't work for the government. He's still a he's soldier. A, in his he's opinion. a pre-Barry. He's like a proto-Barry. What does that mean? There's a TV show called Barry where he's a he's a vet who still oh. shoots. He's like he's an assassin after he, he came back. He came back fucked up is basically the... Gotcha. But he's he's not really a good person anyway. Charles Bronson shared a New York City apartment with Jack Klugman while they were both trying to be on Broadway. Oh, Klugman on Broadway? <laughs> Music to my ears. Okay, here's their big chopper. And, Mike, I know you not, know a lot about um, choppers. Well, I, grew, I actually was born in a chopper. I grew up in a chopper. So. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm a Chapolino. So this is a 1961 Bell 47J2 Ranger. Of course, I didn't need to tell you that. Yeah, I mean, where the know, fuck did you get this information? Well, it's in, just look at it. Look at it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right. That's registration and 73202 and serial number 1850. You can see. Now, um, in 1988, it was sold to a party in Australia, registered there, and was still registered as of 2017. So this chopper lived into our times. I went on the tour, the Stone Killer tour on it. Yeah. I don't have any post-pandemic. Oh, you think you think they went out of business during the pandemic? Well, uh, you can't fly if there's no, you know. It's a small enclosed space, you know. <laughs> now, Jumper's been gotten out on bail. And he's been right. given instructions to take this bus and go pick up this car and get to the Weston Hotel, that kind of stuff. The Weston Hotel. Well, they didn't say yet the Weston. He Jumper will actually tell that as he's dying. He'll say Weston Hotel. And then Chuck will go, oh, uh, we've arrested the wrong black man. Yeah, we arrested a Black Panther for no reason. I got propositioned by a hippie chick for no reason. Right. I could have gone all the way with a hippie chick. He goes, uh, another next, time, another cop. Next stop, bumfuck. Bumfuck, next stop. So somehow, okay, he's following Lipper. Now, why is he, a second ago, he was in the air in a chopper. Now he's on the ground following Lipper. In a truck. In Jumper, following Jumper. And then in the next scene, he'll be up in the chopper again. It doesn't make any sense. Nice. Now, the director and the star worked together almost immediately, right? Like, I don't know if they made a film beforehand, but Death mm -hmm. Wish was their next film. Right. Now, this is in, okay. 
This film here is the third of six films they did together. Before wow. this film, they made Chateau's Land and nice. The Mechanic. I love The Mechanic. Yeah. Oh, what a great movie that is. Afterwards, they made Death Wish 1, 2, and 3. Right. Oh, he didn't do 4, huh? The Crackdown? I don't, I guess, no. I, Three's I, pretty bad. Three is pretty bad with Alex Winter from Bill and Ted. I missed the Death Oh, yeah? That's yeah. cool. He's, I he's like a bad guy. Series. Should I see it? You know, not as a movie experience. Like, as movies, they don't really hold up, but as cultural, like... Yeah, just to... Yeah. You know, Eli Roth, the director, made a, a recent reboot, I guess, with Bruce Willis. Bruce, by the way, is oh, in the entire I saw movie. that. Yeah, it's not a movie, man. That's like... It was an advertisement for Sway and the Man Cow. Like, they kept cutting to these, like you know, uh, uh, satellite radio things, or I guess Mancow is local, but it'll be like, hey, have you guys heard about this uh, white guy hood killer? <laughs> he looks like Bruce Willis. He wears a hood. He walks around <laughs> shooting people. He's got no hair. Got no hair. He's being exploited. So how could he have been in a chopper, seen Jumper, landed, got himself some sort of pickup, which he's now right. abandoning in the middle of the desert, doesn't make sense you see how they're not wearing masks this chopper is pre-pandemic <laughs> he keeps saying that so death wish one one of the bad guys was uh jeff goldblum uh-huh and then uh yeah alex winter was another bad guy in three they uh you know the famous scene and they do it in the bruce willis the bruce willis movie i, I just feel like it wasn't a movie it was just they kept cutting to like sway you uh -huh. remember mtv vj sway he has like a, a satellite radio show. So gotcha. it's him. It's like, you know, his cohorts. And they're like, have you guys hear about the vigilante? Let's take a call. Call her while you're on the air. Oh, I think the vigilante is doing a great job. He's shooting all the bad guys. <laughs> oh, all right. Thanks. But what do you think about that? So it was more like an advertisement. It, it wasn't really a movie. And, you know, in light of uh, Bruce Willis's health, maybe that's probably the best. That's probably the last real Bruce Willis movie. Which he had. A, yeah. He was in the entire film. Now, Alex Winter, isn't he from Montclair where we grew up? Oh gosh, I don't know. I I, I think I think I heard that. Yeah, like that. Yeah, and um, he he made a really good documentary on Zappa. It's on Hulu. If you're a Frank Zappa fan, which I'm not, right. yeah, I would check it out. I I enjoyed it. You know, I actually learned a lot about Frank Zappa on that. You know, I am not a Frank Zappa fan, but he's so interesting. You still want to? Yeah, you want to check out documentaries and yeah. stuff. And well, I did. Whoa! Whoa! Oh, he's okay. It landed on no. top. What happened is Jumper was going to meet them, and then they started shooting at him with the shotgun. He's like, they double-crossed me. They just want him dead because he has information, and right. he will lead them to the hotel. Chopper! Chopper! One of them uh -oh. dead. Bronson's killed someone. 10-10 wins Chopper news and gun shooting. Hands up! What a oh, what? badass, man. Whether in traffic uh, every 11 minutes, whether traffic is shooting from a helicopter every 11 minutes, I'm on the news copter. That we saw in Gone in 60 Seconds too, right? Yeah, right. It would be great if like they pull out a gun. Now he spills his guts, right? Okay. He's he doesn't say, say I love gun. my mom. At a hotel? 
We missed his reaction when he said Weston Hotel. Oh, yeah, that's what I was looking for. Now, did you see how we had a close-up on the mirror? This yeah. director would do stuff like that all the time. He didn't direct Shaft in Africa, right? That was a different No. Uh, he did um, Hannibal Brooks. It's a World War II comedy that people know. Um, he did The Sentinel. It's a horror film that was a big deal. He did The Big Sleep in 78. Oh, and the remake. he did Wonton, The Dog Who Saved Hollywood. Which I've been looking at YouTube every week. It's never going to be a free copy on there. I went to put it in my DVD queue, and Netflix was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, this Save doesn't Hollywood. exist. Wonton? I saw that movie 3 in the morning on a, a UHF station in the Bay Area in mm -hmm. uh, 90-something, and I had... To this day, I rue that I went to sleep after 20 minutes. Oh, I watched yeah. the opening credits, which is kind of like a love boat credit. It has like a lot of Hollywood legends in it. So the opening yeah, credits has this I really like, wish we could see it but either on my Netflix queue or in... Okay, so now the cops will raid the mob hotel. And you get the impression like our film will end now, but it won't. Oh. You think We're going to go into Act 3 and then have an intermission. You think that the birthday party is going to happen here, and this is where they'll do the hit. Right. But that won't be what happened. That's amazing. Now, of course, once again, everyone's going to be like, you have the place surrounded. And then uh, Bronson will just walk his ass right in there, like always. Right. Oh, this is something that fell this time. Hello, room service? <laughs> Not now, sir. We're, Not now, sir. We're being under siege. busy. Ducking bullets. Now, once again, Walton's dad will do a crappy thing. He'll... By the way, John Ritter and, and this guy will be on the Waltons on an episode together. Is that interesting? That so, is interesting. Chuck Bronson will go, cover me. And Jack... Jack Tripper and, you know, John Ritter and uh, Walton's dad will be covering him. And then the Walton's dad will go, you cover him. I'm going in here. And that'll lead to a death. And once again, this guy is the stunad in the entire film. People are coming out, but it's not enough for Bronson. He's going in. Pow, pow. Whoop. Guy was sleeping on the roof. So this now, is this not the is final a, shoot? This is not, yeah, you think it is, but it's yeah. not. This is an interesting place. It's called the, it's called Antelope Valley Indian Museum State Historical Park. Wow. And there's lots, of, it's the old Wexton Indian house. And there's lots of, you know, memorabilia and, yeah you know, original artifacts and stuff. Autograph posters. No. So it's Wexton Indians? Uh, well, first of all, they're Native Americans, Mike. Okay. Shame right. on you. Yeah, shame you on me. You are canceled. Okay. Um, if, if I said something that may offend somebody, well, then I'm going to have, I of course apologize. Yes, and if I said something that offended anybody, fuck you! Okay, yeah, man. So, <laughs> that's Jersey for you. Um, Wexton was the name of a, a, a you know, a, a, a conqueror, 
uh, and they called it Indian House, which is very insulting. But anyway, um, I, I don't know what the Indian, we're in California, whatever native tribes were out there. Right, I gotcha. Cops, cops and robbers and Indians, cowboys. Cowboys and yeah, so they are gonna now, um, okay, they hear a guy on the phone. He's like, operator, person to person call it with New York. And they're overhearing all that. So they trace the number and they find out. <laughs> so basically it's tied to a New York mob thing is what they're gonna learn. And well, I'm jumping ahead way too much. Well, no, you don't have to. Now, a cop's been shot because of Walton. Ritter got shot. I was going to say, it's not Ritter, is it? Yeah, it's Ritter. Don't worry, he won't really die until 2003. Oh, on September 11th. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I know that. events of September 11th, when John Ritter got killed. Oh, you don't mean the terrorist? No, Jack Tripper is no longer on this earth. Bronson would die in 2003, just months apart from Ritter. Now watch this. He's going to jump up on that desk. It's really badass. Okay, I'm desk. ready. Yeah, all right. And hop this. like a cat. Pow! Now that's no stunt, man. He no, just that's, left that's... his ass like a kitty cat. That's how Bronson. Now wasn't he in like a Dirty Dozen or a Magnificent Seven or some shit like that? Like he he. Uh... Yes, he was. Yeah. Um, let me. Oh. Of the Great Escape, was he in also? I think I saw him in that. You know what? I don't have a listing yeah. here of all of his films because he's so well known. I have stuff like he was Jack Klugman's roommate. You know, right? Well, because he there's that. there's different versions of him. Like we know different generations know him, and generations have no idea who he is. You know, they now know look, different things. Norman Fell will go get a beer out of the mobster's fridge. Uh huh. A little pull cap. So basically, he's going to talk Norman Fell into sending him to New York because we're, you know, we now know there's going to be some big mob hit, and we got to get boots on the ground and figure it out. Don't you remember the time we were in a kitchen and it was a dead body, and you cracked open a beer? We yeah, continue. I remember that. Yeah. He got, he's saying, "I'm 50. I've got bad digestion." I can't sleep nights. And he goes, and I want to go to New York. He goes, fine, go to New York. (laughs) Carl, that sounds like me and you. I have the same problems. And you're like, whatever, can I go to New York? Fine. Fine, you cave, cave. You do the sound. Fine. Fine. Wow, what a dub. Please call it a fine so that it's like okay with you. Fine, I'll pay it. (laughs) Oh, the fine? Okay, so now JB shows up once again, finally with his information. Right. Oh, I got information for you in these mean streets, the blah, blah, blah. And the guy goes, enough with the poetry. Spill your guts. And we'll find out that there's a big, going to be big changes. There's a big, so basically it'll be like, well, what mobsters are in New York who've flown in and they they follow them and they get to the location where it's all going to go down. Here, listen to his voice again. Sure, of course. Very good. 
That's enough. I just wanted you to hear his voice. Sure. No, it makes me nostalgic. You know, I, all all he's missing is Simon and Theodore. I don't get it. I don't. Alvin get it. and the Chipmunks. Oh right. There's been so much today you've said, and I'm like, I don't get it. And then you no, say, I Well, didn't. this is why, and I go, Oh, I get it. I need to be. I should have done a better, clearer joke. You should clear your jokes with me. <laughs> Take it with legal. I love so how they dress. That's essentially what's going to happen. They're kind of they're going to tail some important mob guys. Okay, now now we're going to hear like he hears about what happened at the Wexton, and one of the guys is like, "We got to call it off. We're finished. We're through. They know everything." He's like, "We can't call it off. I'm going to tell the mob boss. Never mind your birthday. We were going to kill you, <laughs> but it all got messed up. No, he's coming. They're all coming. This is the worst mob birthday ever." Well, yeah, it's, you guys? it's also it's your birthday and it, it's your death day. Bam! We got your bag full of lead. Here, turn turn it up. Let's hear it. Or April tenth. Eh, April tenth. Yeah, April tenth. That's that's all I'm gonna do. Okay, now finally they're gonna figure it out. They're looking back in history and so they're they're on the computer. They're well, they're on the have, um they won't have computer, of course, you're right. They will have um uh, do you remember you would put fiche, microfiche? Microfiche, yeah, 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 yeah. But this, you know, this is so old timey. It's just fiche. They didn't have the technology to, to shrink it down. He's like, go get the microfiche. It's 1973. All we have is macrofiche. <laughs> Macro. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I've been watching a lot of... Uh, Stuff from the last couple of years and they try to mime the style of these movies you know like you would go into microfiche or you would turn on the television and they'll be in the middle of the local news but now like you watch the tv show and it's like people turn on the local news and they're like oh, reporting now i'm like who has television like that right. who what turns on the news that? when they get home right. and then they'll do the microfiche or they're on the internet and when they look at old newspaper printing it's exactly like microfiche right they're not Going to a website, they have archive just like that on on yeah, the computer. Weird. Look at this. He goes, uh, they're gonna come across the head line, and then Chuck's gonna freak out. Wait a minute. Here we go. That's it. He's gonna wake up the holy shit. What? Friday, April tenth. Which is, you know, 43 years rolled around and it's a Friday again. And it's the guy's birthday. All the stars have aligned. Interesting. No, so it wasn't a random date after all. No, not at all. That's, oh, yeah, you were fooled by the. Yeah, I, I, the acting was so. April. 
Yeah, all right, that's good. Cut and cut. So now they know what's up. They're going to put a tail on the mob, guys. They're all going to end up in this one building, and he's going to stop the murders. Hey, The Hunter was a good movie. But he's not going to stop the murders. Night of the Hunter, refresh my memory. That we just talked about it. That's the James Brolin, the wrong daughter gets kidnapped. That was not, no, no, that isn't Night of the Hunter. Juggler, Night of the Juggler. Yeah, yeah right, yeah. right. Night of the Hunter is a different movie, yes. They, they have juggling books, well, I'm going to do my own juggling. I'm going to keep her, I'm going to, that was a uh, good, it wasn't a good film, but for your show, that was a good film to. It was, it was exciting. I mean, this film, like, it's fun to see 70s New York, Los Angeles, California, yeah. but Juggler had a little more snap to it. Like, it yeah. really kind of, you really felt the energy of the city. Right. It was nitty-gritty, and they were, yeah. like, in Harlem when Harlem was an impoverished place. And he's like, you oh, they'll go to Times Square, and he's, like, yelling at wow. the, the, call, the ladies in the booth. Was a real porn star was in that film. Okay, we got them. They're all going to such and such ho uh, a part a building. Everybody, here's your gun. Here's your gun. Where's yeah. John Ritter? Oh, he got shot. Oh, okay. You take his gun. So they're all going to raid this place where all the mob guys are, and this will be a scene in the parking garage where someone really will get hurt. Okay. Oh, uh, I look forward to that. You know, he's uh, the head of the stunt, he's like the, the head stunt man who gets hurt. His seat belt snaps. And, nice. um, yeah, let's see here. Location, you know, in Montclair High School, we had a tech AV teacher, uh, Jay Curtis. I'll give a shout out. Oh, Jay, I know that name, I remember him. He had a show in San Diego in 1980 called Disaster Peace Theater, which went uh -huh. against Saturday Night Live, and they actually got better ratings. And it was like a mystery science thing, he would do something like. I quit, boss. You're a blockhead. And they would cut to Jay sitting at a, a desk with a block on his head going, whoa, whoa, whoa. So here we have the famous elevator that they recreated and timed yes. it perfectly so they can go up underneath the mob guys undetected. I hope this works. They've spent so much money getting ready for it. Thinking the great escape theme song. Isn't it interesting that all the guns in this film that the mobsters have are Smith & Wesson Model 76 9mm? Is that interesting? I, I was. I, I didn't think it was interesting, so I wasn't going to bring it up. Okay. Uh, is this interesting? In his autobiography, Winner Takes All, that's the direction. Oh, dear Lord. Right? He explained that Charles Bronson would forget his reading glasses at the set, and when they would go to lunch on this film, he'd have to, he'd have to read the menu to Bronson. Oof. Oh, I got to read the rest of this book. <laughs> Loser takes all. I'll take the chicken, Michael. <laughs> oh, that'll be the title of my, uh, my <laughs> title. That's the next title. Now look, head mobsters, like, why the fuck are the cops all heading? So he says to his family, you know what? I'm not in the mood to go up there. Let's leave. Good, smart. Okay, sure, honey, there the they are cake. under the elevator, and when it gets there, they're going to come out on that floor, open the door, and do their deed. I hope so. They planned for this. 
They sure as shit did. Why isn't this accident just jumping out at me? Of course, I'm just, here it is. During the shootout in the parking garage at the climax, the stunt coordinator, Alan Gibbs, seatbelt snapped, his head struck the steering wheel, causing him to sustain serious injuries in one of the numerous car crashes that take place. Yikes. Whoa! Bam! Nice. Okay, here are the mob guys all in one place. And this is the national syndicate. But now look, they all get killed. Yeah. Charles Bronson did not prevent it. At 